I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the latest installment in the Tomb Raider franchise, the reboot, simply titled Tomb Raider, the adaptation of the best-selling novel Simon vs. the Homo Sapien Agenda, Love, Simon, the movie based on the platinum-selling single, I Can Only Imagine, and the latest retelling of Operation Thunderbolt, the Israeli Defense Forces uh, rescue attempt at the hostages taken and held in Entebbe Airport, seven days in Entebbe. Let's get started. Put it down! It's your finger that's pulling this trigger. You messed with the wrong family. So, in case you haven't been following uh, film and uh, adaptations, you know, by Hollywood uh, in the last, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 years, you probably, you know, know that there's a very low bar when it comes to video game adaptations. Currently, the best overall in terms of quality that we've gotten is the Castlevania Netflix series. That is the highest rated, best regarded video game adaptation we've had. In terms of movies, uh, I'm honestly going to say this is the new high bar. Which sucks because this is a, like a C at best. This is, a, this is average at best and, it's, and, this is, and yet this is the high bar we've reached when it, can't, when it comes to video game adaptations. So, uh, if, you didn't, if you don't remember, I believe it was about 2008 or 2009, Square Enix attained a license to the Laura Croft Tomb Raider series. And they rebooted it, gave Laura a redesign, and made her look more naturally... Uh, gave her a natural build, you know. Whereas the original design had her busty and looking, looking like some kind of, you know, nerdy boy's wet dream of how women are supposed to look. The redesign made her look more human, made her look more natural. You know, she had a, she had a better build for adventuring and for being out there and doing stuff. And the games were well, the, the reboot game was pretty well rated. Uh, I think the sequel wasn't as well rated just because it came out of the gate so well. But this movie is based on that first reboot game by Square Enix. And uh, Alicia Vikander stars as Lara Croft, who in this movie starts off as, <laughs> stereotypically as possible, the rich kid who is shirking their responsibilities because they don't want to be rich, man. That's their parents' money, man. They want to live their own life, man. And... On top of that, she also is adamant that her father is still alive out there somewhere, but everyone is just assuming he is dead. And it's not until she gets in trouble with the uh, London police for uh, a, a weird, like, fox hunt game done by cyclists where the winner gets, like, 200 quid. Uh, <laughs> and... She was the fox, and if they couldn't catch her before a paint bucket went dry, she would win the 200 quid. And she gets caught by the police, and uh, an old associate of her father's uh, comes in and says, look, you gotta come in and sign some papers, just 
we need to get this done. We can't keep pushing this on. They want to declare him officially dead so that she can inherit the money and the mansion. And she doesn't want any of it. And mid, mid signing of the paperwork, she's given a puzzle, a Japanese puzzle box, which leads her back to the mansion. Like the, like this is very, very poorly thought out. Like, like I would imagine that instead of giving it to her while she's supposed to be signing paperwork, you, it would be given to her after the fact. Like, a good writer would would make this better, make this flow better, instead of her being like, oh yeah, no, we're going to stop this mid-signing of paperwork so that I can solve a little puzzle box and go on an adventure. Yeah, no, like, either do one or the other. Either have her not come in and then go find the puzzle at her father's place, or don't, or give, or have her be given the puzzle box before she comes in and signs the paperwork. But, or sign the paperwork and then get the puzzle box afterwards. Pick one or the other, you know? Don't be lazy like that. <laughs> um, but she does uh, find out where the last mission her father was on. And she discovers uh, that, you know, like it's in the trailer. Oh, he, it wasn't all boardrooms and business meetings for him. He had a secret side. He was off on adventures being little Indiana Jones. And... Like, they don't actually reference Indiana Jones throughout this entire movie, I don't think. So that's, uh, that's you know, hey, that's that saves them from trying to explain how Indiana Jones, that Indiana Jones exists in this universe. But um, she recruits the son of the same boat captain who piloted her father seven years ago for this mission. This is kind of ludicrous when you think about it it didn't have to be a son it could be like yeah that old coot one off on his own he, uh, why, why does it have to be a like i get the point of it being the son because there's a correlation between fathers and sons but it's it feels so forced you know it feels so like oh what a coincidence your father took my father on an expedition let's do the same thing history repeats itself I don't know, man. Like, I feel like that could have been written better. You know, it, it, like, once again, all you have to do is she's looking for this boat. He is, he know he knows the captain. Maybe he was the guy who trained him. You know, it doesn't have to be a legal father or a biological father. It could be a father figure. You know, he was the guy's mentor. He went off with some crazy, with some crazy Brit and never returned. And so he holds it against uh, Lara Croft the whole way because he doesn't... Because, you know, his mentor's gone because of her dad or something. I don't know. But anyway, the, the captain takes him to the island. And from that point on, it's basically that rebooted video game that Square Enix did. And for the most part, it's actually, that part is really good. Like, the setup is kind of dumb and hokey. There are some good scenes of parkour going on, which are good. Um... But everything gets really good once you get on the island. And it starts to recreate that. That's where uh, it's her doing her stealth thing, trying to escape from this from Walton Goggins, who is running this weird, shady operation to try and find the tomb her father was looking for. And over the course of the adventure, she ends up helping Walton Goggins. And she goes in and starts digging through the tomb with a group of people. And solving puzzles and whatnot. And it's basically just, yeah, it's the recreation of that video game. I will say that just because this is the best, I consider this the best video game adaptation so far. 
does not make it that great of a movie. Compared to things like, oh, I don't know, Street Fighter Legend of Chun-Li, or Doom, or the collective works of Uwe Boll, this movie is leagues better than those. That being said, like I was pointing out, there are dumb things that this movie does to kind of cheat their way into the plot going forward when there are better ways of finding around it. And if you had more time to sit down and think about it logically, but they're not worried about the logistics of the plot. They're more worried about doing doing video gamey stuff like Laura Croft. <laughs> Uh, there was a bit, there was a cool scene of her going down the river, which is taken straight from the video game and her, uh, landing in a downed World War II fighter plane and having to use that to, to use that to bit, to try and make it through alive. But yeah, I mean, as far as like, I haven't seen any of the other like Indiana Jones wannabes. Like I've never seen Romancing the Stone I never got into the Angelina Jolie Lara Croft movies. I thought they were even dumber because that one had like, those ones had like robots in 2001. It's like, oh, by the way, she also has robots. Robots are in there. We're supposed to take that seriously. So no, 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 no. This one is a lot more down to earth than those ones were. And they don't, that's the thing. They try to make a hint that, ooh, there's this mythical, otherly, supernatural power going on. And it turns out, oh, no, this is easily explainable through, you know, science and through basic reasoning. You know, Occam's Razor. This, this, this makes the most sense. That's, so that's what it is. They just didn't know how to explain it back then. So they, used, so they said, you know, screw it. It's magic. We don't know what it is. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what this is. This must be magic. And so I'm glad that they went that way with it. The idea being that the danger is not from the supernatural. It's from the, it's from the ethereal. It's from the, uh, the worldly. It's from corporations. Those are the real threats and the real enemy. And movie's not wrong. Oddly enough, it's made by a bunch of multi-billion dollar corporation, multi-million dollar corporations. So, uh... It's kind of odd that they're the ones saying, oh yeah, by the way, we're the enemy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's... Alicia Vikander is the main reason to see this movie. Whereas most people cat, who are A-list quality actors that are put in... Like Walton Goggins isn't really giving it his all. Dominic West is doing okay as her father through the movie. But even he is not, you know, even he's not giving it 100%. Alicia Vikander... Is giving it 100%. Yeah. She is giving it her all in this movie. Like you. She completely sinks into the role of Lara Croft. There's not a. a there's not a Alicia Vikander slumming it in this movie. It's simply Alicia Vikander becoming and presenting the world as Lara Croft. Uh. So, she is, like, the main reason to see this movie is to see Alicia Vikander kick ass. She is great in the movie. Um, but yeah, as far everything else around her, that's what I, this is what I was afraid of. That everything else around Alicia Vikander was going to be subpar and just kind of mediocre. But that Alicia Vikander would be the standout in all of this. And turns out I was right. The movie itself was just kind of mediocre and it's a cool, it's a pretty cool, like, uh, Indiana Jones wannabe. 
And aside from that, you know, it's just Alicia Vikander is really good in it. Uh, the only other thing I will not get points for is that the editing around the fight scenes, the fight choreography is really choppy. The one thing I've started to pick up in watching, in watching more and more action movies on a, on a regular basis is when they try to cut corners on the stunts. Uh, when I'm starting to notice the quick edits when it comes to fight scenes, when it means they're trying to hide the fact that they don't have a good fight choreographer. And I'm starting to notice that more and more when I'm watching action movies. And it's taking me out of it immediately. So, aside from that, uh, the movie was solid. Once again, it's the best thing we've got from Hollywood in terms of a feature-length video game adaptation. Um, uh, other, other than that, I, eh, like, you don't have to rush out and see it. But if you've got a matinee to kill and you've got, like, movie pass or something... Uh, or you're a fan of the games or something. Because that's the thing. Alicia Vikander's Laura Croft is definitely a good, nice empowerment. The, I, there are people, like, knocking the movie because they didn't... Like, the one time they didn't make a love interest for the for Laura Croft. It was an Asian guy. And, yeah, the, that kind of sucks that that's what happened. And it could easily just be, well, if the guy's Asian, we don't want to make... You know, there's no reason for her to fall in love with him. But... At the same time, like there is, a, you know, there's not a, there's a crook like there's a there's like a, the kid of a either Indian or maybe Pakistani that doesn't they don't specify uh, but like this rest this uh this restaurant that she delivers food for at the beginning of the movie there's a kid who's like late late teens early twenties who's like mad crushing on her and um yeah so I mean like for both the quote unquote love interests. Uh, are of Asian descent. Uh, she just doesn't end up with any of them or have any romantic chemistry with them because it's not about romance in this movie. This movie is more about Laura Croft coming into her own and, you know, to put it bluntly, overcoming her daddy issues. This is literally her overcoming the her need to rely on her father for support. And it's her becoming an independent woman. And... Maybe in the next movie they'll start to try and go for the romantic angle, but this wasn't about romance for her. She didn't need rom. She wasn't concerned about romance because she wasn't a fully functional character yet. She was still in her dad's shadow, and she needed to step out of it. And this movie is her stepping out from it. Maybe in the next one, her and um, uh, what's the guy's name from this? Uh, let me see. I hope he's second build. No, Dominic West is second build. Uh, who's the... Lou Ren. Oh, by the way, my dad's also named Lou Ren. That was a weird thing. I, I'm not sure. I'm pretty I don't... Maybe somebody can correct me on how Hong Kong names work. But that feels very, you know, uh, convenient. Hi, my name's Lou Ren. My father's name is Lou Ren. We come from a long line of Lou Rens. Um, Daniel Wu played uh the cap the boat captain in this he was in warcraft as as guldan and he was in geostorm and skylanders academy huh i don't remember guldan he's also the voice of guldan uh in the hearthstone uh in the hearthstone uh expansion that featured the warcraft uh movie characters Okay, not Man with the Iron Fist he was in. Cool. Uh, but it's, he seems to be, I think, 
Uh, new police story, so he must be uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong actor? No, he's born in Berkeley, California. So, because like a bunch of his kids, a bunch of his mo- a bunch of his movies seem to be chi- either like Chinese mainland or Hong Kong. So I'm guessing he must have gone over after once he got old enough to do Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, this was made in Hong Kong, and new police and police story. I remember was a Jackie Chan movie made in Hong Kong. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Hong Kong, China. So he's an American. He's American born, but he his he got a start in Hong Kong cinema. But uh, either way, yeah, I like the guy. I like um, uh, Daniel Wu. I hope to see more of him in stuff. And I hope he comes back in a, if they ever do a sequel. I don't know how well this is doing at the box office. What is it saying? What do we got? What's it? What are the projections so far? IMDb's not giving me that. Where's a box office mojo? I thought there was like a direct link from one from one to the other here. There's Metacritic. Come on. Like a box office mojo. Okay, Tomb Raider came in second behind Black Panther, who is still in a uh, in first place uh, after what a month, thirty one day total, thirty one day total. It's doing better. Black Panther is doing better than and then uh, the Last Jedi by like uh, ten by like just under ten thousand dollars. No, over ten thousand dollars. Thirteen thousand. That thousand million. Thirteen million dollars. And it's and it's doing like uh, 180 million over uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, 31 day total. So good for Black Panther. Uh, fifth weekend in a row, it's been number one in the box office. And the Tomb Raider came in right behind it with 23 million, and it cost 94 million to make. Oh, but it made 100 million worldwide opening weekend. So that means the international market kept it afloat. So, good for it, I guess. That's good. That means it got back its budget. That means all that's left is like um, $45 million, maybe $50 million uh, for advertising. Because I think it's like one and a half or two times the budget to include uh, advertising in the, in the revenue stream. So, uh, a couple, you know, like maybe after next weekend, it'll probably be, uh, it'll probably be, start making a profit. It barely, but yeah, that barely scraped by. Sadly, um, hopefully, hopefully, sequel can improve that. I mean, we've started seeing a lot more sequels improving on the original, and if this was if this was a solid first attempt, uh, hopefully, they can only go up from here. But yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like it would. I'm I'm cool with it either way because uh, if we did do uh, her and Daniel Wu getting together in the end. I think that would be. I think that would be feel forced, no matter who the race is uh, for the love interest. I feel like, oh, of course she's got to end up with somebody. But at the same time, like you want, you know, you want to see more Asian representation in terms of romantic interest. Like it kind of sucks that there's still a stigma in Hollywood of like, well, Asian men aren't attractive. Uh, we got to get hooked them up with up uh, with you know. 
white dudes and, you know, sometimes black and Hispanic dudes. But Asian men, they aren't, like, hot commodities. That's, you know, that's been a bad stigma in Hollywood for years, decades. And, yeah, we still have to overcome that. But I feel like Tomb Raider wasn't really the one to do it. I feel like there's way better um, movies to go about introducing Asian males as love interests. Like, put John Woo, uh, not John Woo, uh, he's the director. Um, uh, John Cho, uh, Sulu from Star Trek. I remember there was a thing going around of, like, put John Cho in everything uh, for more Asian representation. I'm like... Yeah, John Cho. Put John Cho in stuff. Make him a leading man. Dude's leading man material. I suggest. I think I suggested him on Twitter as um, Reed Richards. I could see him as a Reed Richards, like a mid, like younger Reed Richards, where he's the oldest one there. Because I think he's a little bit older than I am. Let me double check. How old is John Cho? I also found this out um, today while I was talking with my family. Uh, May Whitman is a few months older than I am. So she is in the right age range to start playing moms, which she is currently on the on the show Good Girls. So Mae Whitman, who is a woman I grew up hearing through Avatar and through a bunch of other voice acting gigs, is a little bit older than I am, and she's playing moms. Oh, my heart. I found a great... You know, thankfully I'm not finding any gray hairs yet. Uh, John Cho is... Uh, he turned 40 a couple years ago. He's pushing 50? Born in 72. He's pushing 50 years old, guys. He's like 45. Damn. I did not know he was that old. I thought he was way younger. So, heck, he could probably play adult Reed Richards, like old man Reed Richards at this point. Uh, but, yeah, uh, John Cho, put him in stuff. There are plenty of hot young Asian actors. Put him in stuff. Make them leading men. You know, I don't know if to- you should hold it against Tomb Raider that the that the Asian guy didn't hook up with the white chick at the end. Because, like, I mean, it's more about... La- this one was more about Laura Croft coming into her own, like I was saying. But at the same time, yeah, I can understand wanting to see more representation uh, of, you know, leading... Of Asian male leading men sort of in romantic leads. And I get that. And that's why we need more movies with Asian male romantic leads. So let's get on to that. Uh, maybe next time we can have a romance between uh, Lou Ren and Lara Croft. Maybe not. Maybe she hooks up with the with the Indian kid uh, from from her time as a courier. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, well, I mean, not who cares, but like, yeah, who? Yeah, only time will tell. And the only way to do it is to keep demanding more uh, Asian male romantic leads. So. Get on that, Hollywood. So saith the podcaster. This is about to get romantic as F. You're not into Abby, are you? She's cute, but she's just not really my type. Mm. Not because she's black. I love black women. Not like, you know, I have a thing for black women. I just, I just, I just love all women. So, remember how I said I saw this movie uh, the previous weekend and I had to push it off until it came out wide release this weekend? Well, my thoughts are this. Y'all need to go see this movie because it's going to be a... It's going to define this generation. This generation growing up right now, uh, Gen Z, I think is what they go by, or I don't think it's Gen Alpha, maybe Gen Alpha, 
who are the kids who were born in like 2010 or so. But definitely the post-millennials, kids born after the year 2000 or right around the year 2000, this is going to be their movie. This is going to be their childhood-defining movie, especially if they're, you know, somewhere within the LGBTQ community. Um, uh, It is... uh, (laughs) I think I've... Heard um, uh, various uh, people I follow in the community call it like a queer masterpiece. If not, if I didn't hear that, I'm sure somebody out there said it because yes, yes, it is. It is all, it is a beautiful, touching, romantic comedy just so happening to center on a gay dude. And it's as much as it's about his, you know, his, 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 his hopes and his dreams and his loves. It is a beautiful coming of age story that literally anybody can identify with, as long as you know, as long as you're not one of those weirdos who's off put by the fact that oh, he's in love with gay, he's in love with other dudes. Like, oh my god, I can't identify with him. He likes dudes. Yeah, wow. I'm glad to know you're so you're so lacking in empathy. You can't. I could see myself. In this kid so much, and I have you know, and that's and I have no attraction to men in any in any way other than platonic. You know, like I could point out attractive dudes, but uh, you know, like there there's just no attraction for me and other men. I just don't feel though that's not the way my brain chemistry works. But I'm not. But I'm going too much into my own self. This is about the fact that Love Simon is a generation-defining film. It is. It is going to be a movie that the way that Dazed and Confused helped raise kids in like the who grew up who are like the Gen Xers and the early millennials. The way that Dazed and Confused and Fast Times at Richmond High helped raise them, or the way that um. Uh, Breakfast Club helped raise ki- help raise Gen Xers. Love Simon is going to be that movie for the Gen Z or the Gen Alpha, the next, the upcoming generation, the kids in high school and middle school right now. Love Simon is going to be their movie. I can feel it, and sadly, I don't think it. I, I don't think it could beat. Uh, I can only imagine at the box office. Love Simon came in fifth. It couldn't even beat Wrinkle of Times leftovers. Thankfully, it only didn't. It only cost seventeen million to make, and it's just about made that back already. So, as long as more people go out and see it, like seriously, the next movie. What? Don't worry about the blockbusters. The blockbusters are going to be there. Y'all need to go out and support my man Simon. This is the movie y'all need to go and see. It is genuinely touching and beautiful. Already on my favorite of this year. Already. Right behind Black Panther. I'm giving you some behind the scenes stuff. Black Panther's number one right now. It's the movie to beat. Love, Simon's number two. Love, Simon is right behind Black Panther as my favorite movie of 2018 so far. It is genuinely a beautiful and touching experience. And y'all need to go see this movie. Y'all need to go see. There's no reason for I can only imagine, which I'll get to to be beating Love, Simon at the box office. Y'all need to go see this movie. Go show Simon your love. Um, so instead of yelling at you uh, for not seeing this movie, 
I should tell you that about why you should see this movie. I mean, the 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 queer love story that I mean for for representation alone, it needs to succeed. We need people to see this movie so that Hollywood gets that, oh, maybe if we make more stories about gay romance that people will see it. Yes! This is what people want! Representation! It's going to be the topic of the rest of the podcast by the end of the reviews. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Simon's story is just like anybody else's, except that it's about him being gay, which means that for, for it to be on the nose about everybody else about um you know it's gonna be more on the nose for kids who are in the closet or who are on the verge of coming out and it's gonna be for kids who are on the out in the within the lgbt community and who are on the outskirts of um uh you know sort of like the edges of heteronormativity who aren't really within that sort of societal norm it's it's for the outcasts. It's for the kids who aren't who don't you know who, who don't fit in, and it's about you know coming to terms with who you are. And I can't understand that just on a personal level because it's just because it's not about me being gay doesn't mean I don't have to come to, with ter- to terms with who I am. Every kid does that. Every teenager goes through what goes through something similar to what Simon did. It's just not always about being gay. But for those who who it is about being gay, they got a movie. They got a movie about a kid coming to his own and coming to the terms with, with his sexuality and being able to open up and be out and, and tell people about it and to come out of the closet. And it's so beautiful and I love it. And I love this movie. And I hate that a Christ exploitation movie is beating it in the box office. Damn it. Sorry. I'll save my rage uh, for that next one. But, yes, and of course the performances are excellent. Uh, it's very, uh, not, and not just with the, uh, you know, um, LGBT representation. The movie itself is very diverse. You've got uh, two people of color best fr- who are best friends of Simon. And there's even, you know, there's even an openly gay kid there. There's another... There's the blue kid that Simon talks to, who's in the closet as well, and it, it, the movie and the sh- and the school is pretty diverse. Like their drama teacher is a woman of color. Their vice principal is Tony Hale. Uh, Buster from Arrested Development has played a teacher twice in movies in, within the last two months, and he was uh, like he was a gym teacher in Fifteen Seventeen to Paris, and now he's a vice principal. And it's so weird seeing Buster. Being put in charge of children. But uh, Tony Hale does. But Tony Hale is even better here. Because he gets to be that. Really trying to be hip and cool. Vice principal. And like there's a beautiful turn. In the third act. When when, like the big twist happens. And Tony Hale stops being. All um, you know like. Happy go lucky. And you know hey kids. I'm super cool right. No he goes from that to being like. Go, you know, to seeing Simon be like, you okay, kid? You know, I'm here for you if you need me. Super serious, ma- matter-of-fact business. He's, he's, he, he knows exactly to go to Simon and be like, you, are you okay? Is that, you know, if you need anything, let me know. I'm here for you. It is 
It is this. I'm so glad that for the most part, aside from like a couple of assholes that they show in the movie, and even those guys get a real just like new new one torn at them by the drama teacher. Uh, she's just like yeah. She's just like uh, like Simon's about to confront them, and then the drama teacher's like no no, I got this, I got this, and is just like pam pam pow pow put like all just does not hold back. And just rips into these two assholes. Because you've been wanting to hear it the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, it feels so good. It was so good. So cathartic. You almost want to pull out a, a vape or a cigarette afterwards and be like, Was it good for you? Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. And... Uh, and, and it does leave you guessing the whole time. Like, who is the blue kid? And, you know, like, what happens by the end? And it's, and, like, the only thing I didn't like about it was the big, like, betrayal moment where the friends are like, we started talking and we started to figure out what was really going on and now we're not going to talk to you for, like, the rest of the semester. Like, these guys have been friends since ki- since kindergarten, but they won't talk to him because, like, without giving too much away, but because he lied to them for the last, like, couple of months. And instead of being like, like, like you would think that, because what happens is, Without giving too much away, what happens is somebody somebody knew Simon was corresponding with the closeted gay kid Blue and was blackmailing him. It won't give away who or what happens, but basically there's that subplot. And that subplot leads to the third act betrayal. And I feel like if these guys were actually friends, they wouldn't it wouldn't be so quick to they wouldn't be so quick to be like to stop talking to him i i would think it would be more like oh my dude you were blackmailed for months oh my god dude we're so sorry like why are these kids like man how could you lie to us just because you were being blackmailed wait why are we mad at him again like that's the one thing I don't like about the movie is the betrayal moment feels really forced to try and alienate Simon. I don't know how it was in the book if if it played out like that, but the only like I would change that into them trying to be upfront with Simon and be like, "Look, my dude, we get it. We love you. You know, are you okay? Are you okay?" And he alienates himself from everybody. Like he pushes everyone away because of what happened. Not they push him away because that feels really out of character for them. I feel like it needed to be him pushing them away in order to kind of like be by himself and kind of like sulk. That's the only thing I would have changed. They may have been trying to go for book accuracy, but you know, sometimes things don't make sense in books and sometimes you need to change them. You know, sometimes you need to, you, sometimes you need to make improvements where there aren't any. You know, sometimes being literal, be, doing a literal translation isn't going to do it justice. But, you know, that's just me. Maybe there are kids in high school who are like, oh no, that totally happens. So, uh, yeah, 
I mean, it's not gonna. It doesn't detract from the movie too much. It's just something I noticed and that bugs me. Other than that, though, it's just just boom, bang, boom, just like the only and like and, and like seeing, uh, like it feels like it's all kind of like it, how Easy A was like almost preciously progressive, where it's like, okay, yeah, you're really pushing the idea that these parents are open, open and accepting and progressive. Yeah, I get it, but at the same time. And this one doesn't feel as forced because at the same time as parents, when they when um, he opens up to them, he they you know they they react kind of like um, un, unsure at first because how are they supposed to, and then I I'm sorry I'm I'm actually just thinking about uh, Josh Duhamel Josh Duhamel who apparently has also been doing uh, Taco Bell nacho fries commercials <laughs> at this time. So, ahead of Tomb Raider, which I saw with my nephew, we saw commercials for Santa Clarita Diet, which he is in, and the Nacho Fries commercials, which he is in, and I just saw him as the dad and Love, Simon. So, I've been seeing a lot of Josh Duhamel lately, and it's been way better than him in the Transformers franchise. I'm so glad he's branching away from that and doing better things. Yeah, Taco Bell Nacho Fries commercials are a step up from the Transformers movies. I will put my flag in that. I will plant my flag in this hill, damn it! Um, But his scene where he opens up to Simon about everything he's been feeling, because he's been... Because you you start to think that it's because his dad was a jock. He's a a man. He's a a tough guy, you know? He's a a manly man. You think it's going to be... Something like that, but it it completely subverts all of that, and it's a beautiful his his opening up to Simon after Simon uh, came out is one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever I've ever witnessed. It is perfectly shot, perfectly paced, just a beautifully done scene about a father and a son coming to coming closer, becoming closer. And, it, and, it, and that's the great thing, too, about this movie is that it has great comedic timing because it'll have the, as soon as the two reconnect and have and have their moment, it's immediately like, bam, punchline. It's just like great comedic timing within this movie. It's it knows exactly how to play the tension to lead into the punchline and the punchline hits that much harder. This is just a beautifully done movie. And I hope we get to see more things like this. So please, I am begging you, go out and support Love, Simon. Wherever it is playing near you, this movie deserves it. My dad was a monster, and I saw God transform him. You have a gift. I didn't think that God could do that. So I wrote this song for my dad. Meanwhile, our the third movie to come out at, at the box office this weekend, who doesn't deserve the all the accolades it's been getting. This movie based on the inspirational Christian song, I Can Only Imagine, by Bart Millard of Mercy Me. 
I'm going to be upfront with you if you haven't caught on already. If you've got a low tolerance for people mocking evangelical Christianity and really and and things like the Pure Flix movies, like um, like Christian music, like evangelical music, you're going to want to skip this. And you're probably going to want to skip a couple of the reviews coming in the next few weeks because Easter's coming and as Jesus rises from the grave, so does the Christploitation movies to the theaters. And yeah, if you missed, um, I coined this my second episode. My second episode of the podcast in 2016, I coined the term Christsploitation. Because it's the only way to describe these movies. The things like Pure Flix or like uh, Sony's, or and the things that Pure Flix has inspired. Sony has its own subsidiary that does Christian movies. Because Pure Flix has started making so much money from evangelicals who honestly have no discerning taste in terms of quality film. They just know these movies are made for us to reaffirm what we already believe. And that's what it is. See, when it comes to exploitation movies, they give you what you want without the quality. Black exploitation just gives you black empowerment, fighting the man... You know, black, strong black leading characters, but they're not always good movies. You know, and sometimes they're often, they're, they, sometimes they can be downright awfully made movies, but they give you what you want. They give you the satisfaction of seeing what you're not getting from Hollywood in terms of like strong black characters fighting oppression, fighting the man, fighting, fighting a system that's holding them down. Sexploitation is basically a little is basically just more mainstream porn movies. They're they're porn. They're just sexual liber, sexually liberated erotica. You know, they may not always be straight up hardcore pornography, but they but they're at least softcore pornography. It's it's erotic. It's supposed to be sexually evocative. You know, uh, exploitations things that come from a land down under where. Women, where women glow and men plunder? What is, what is the... I don't want to say women blow, because that sounds, uh... Um... That sounds really... <laughs> um... Here, Men at Work Down Under lyrics from Genius. I come from a land down under where women... I thought so. Women glow and men plunder. Uh... Nudies was a problem across the world. Gender equality in the 80s was a problem. In Australia, men are stereotyped as being working citizens while women stay at home, non-money-eating citizens. More likely, he's just saying that the women are beautiful and the men are thieves. Lyricist Colin Hay said that in general, the song was about the plot ring of the country by greedy people. Okay, that kind of makes sense. I know, um... Well, that one's not as... Oh, that one's more, sub, you know, subtle about, uh... <laughs> The way the Australians have treated the land around them. Uh, I know um, Beds Are Burning, that group, is just outright overt with the plundering of Australia by the colon- by, you know, by colonialization. Um, but that being said, yeah, exploitation um, was just the same thing. It's low quality. I mean, Mad Max started as exploitation. It was, you know, stuff that you couldn't make in the States. And it's, 
you know, like desert, um, uh, a po- post-apocalyptic madness. And it's guns and guts and babes and all that sort of stuff. Christ exploitation is what I've termed the movies that forego quality in order to prop up religious beliefs, especially conservative evangelical Christians. Christ exploitation is not all Christian movies, not all movies about religion, especially namely Christianity, are Christ exploitation. Uh, movies like Doubt, uh, based on the play, which I highly recommend, or Philomena, they deal with religion very well, in a very cinematic way, in a very touching and dramatic way. Christ's exploitation are, is a genre where everything is solved by either praying or by turning to God and converting. And that, that always solves it. And no matter what the problem is, it is solved by turning to Christ. A lot of uh, Tyler Perry's work can be considered Christ exploitation because of how much it centers on going to church. And Pure Flix is is like the tro- like how trauma films are to general exploitation. Pure Flix is to Christ exploitation. Those are the, that is the studio that caused me to come up with this terminology because they're ex- especially that's the other thing. Exploitative exploitation movies not only exploit the actors into doing things that are very non-mainstream. Although in some case, you know, within case of black exploitation, it's not like it's a bad cause. I mean, the, their hearts are in the right place. It's just they're just it's just it's hard to do that on your own as independent filmmakers. But um, but in terms of Christ exploitation, they're not only exploiting you know the people working for them in terms of just making utter trash. But it doesn't matter. You know, it's not, it's, not inter- it's not about artistic quality. It's about displaying the exact thing that the other person exploited is. The audience. Exploitation movies specifically exploit a certain audience. Be it, black, you know, be it a black audience who is, feels starved by a mainstream Hollywood. Or be it a horny audience that feels the need to... Um, breed as it were but uh they just they just need they just have those kind of urges and they need it to be they need their urges to be satiated through cinema or be it churchgoers who feel like society is going in the wrong direction and they need their beliefs to be reaffirmed in the form of really bad movies like there are entire podcasts one specifically that i follow called god awful movies that are, are that are specifically about Reviewing these terrible, terrible movies that only exist to prop up that dogma. That dogma, that belief system, that's the only reason they exist. They do not exist to exert quality or to tell good, meaningful stories. They only exist to exploit their audience who just want their beliefs to be reaffirmed for them. They only want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to be challenged. They don't like they don't they don't like things that are outside of what they already believe. They just want their beliefs reaffirmed to them. And I can only imagine gives them exactly that. 
Like, I don't even think I saw commercials for this movie or trailers. I think this only got as big as it did because of churches. I would not be surprised. Both of the showings that I tried to go to this weekend were almost sold, were sold out. Like, the first one I went to sold out before I got there. And the second one just about sold out by the time I got in. So I got in there half an hour before the second showing. And it damn near sold out before I got in there. So I almost missed seeing this movie because I swear Christians were being bussed in in order to support this movie. So the numbers are trumped up. Eh, I, yeah, that's always going to have a connotation to it. But the numbers are being propped up by churches who, want, who try, to, try to make it seem like the movie's successful when all it is... Is just them seeing it all at once. This is not a good film. No one outside of people who already buy into this garbage. Would ever enjoy this movie. And to see people force its its success. By you know just by sheer numbers. Is infuriating to me. Because it's not a natural success. It's a false success. It's a success brought on by people gripping on to make trying to grip onto mainstream uh cultural norms as long as they can like 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 i'm not to get too political but i'm sure you've heard commentary about how trump's uh election was the dying gas that was the last gasp of a dying generation of people who bought into the to a lot of the propaganda and beliefs propped up by republican the the Republican Party and conservatives conservatism from the fifties through the eighties, and and I'm not going to say it's about conservatism, but it's definitely about a sub, a subset of the culture that was the norm, that was the cultural norm for generations, and are now dying out because culture and society have progressed, and they haven't. And that's once again not to not to attack you for being Christian or even for enjoying this movie. You can enjoy it all you want. I'm giving you my opinion. And my opinion is this movie is utter and complete garbage. It is trash. The only reason it's not on my least favorite movies of 27 of 2018 is that I laughed my butt off at this movie. Not in the theater, because I had to hold in every single laugh that came naturally to me from watching this movie, because I was surrounded by the people who came to see it legitimately. I came to see it because I'm a reviewer. I review the new releases. I came to see it to openly mock it on this microphone. They came to see it because... Oh, they love that song. That song changed their lives. It's so inspirational. And and I really hope that the Southern accent stops being associated with evangelical religiosity and with ignorance. Like, I really hope we get one day a rocket scientist or or a theoretical physicist who speaks with a Southern accent. Because I feel like that's way more fair to them. That way they're not always depicted as being 
as being all heel rods and inbreds and and like the monsters from the hills have eyes or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but yeah, yeah, it's it, it's like the Southern action needs to not be associated as exclusively with evangelical religiosity and with ignorance. There needs to be more movies set in the South, based in the South, about better people. And Hollywood is still stuck in the mindset of, well, they're from the South. They're the bad guys. Because, because yeah, totally. No, both sides. There is obviously a clear good guy and a bad guy in the Civil War. It's not like the North also segregated their cities and treated the freed slaves as second-class citizens as soon as the war was over or anything. What? What was I talking about? Wasn't I talking about that Jesus fella? Yeah, I'm getting off on tangents here. Because, honestly, what, what can I say about this movie? Bart Millard is an asshole. Like... The, the one thing I learned about Bart Millard through this movie is he is an unrepentant asshole to his girlfriend, to his daddy, to everyone around him, to hope to record executive hopefuls. He is a asshole. I'm getting deep in my southern roots that I don't have. <laughs> um, I was hanging out in the more rural, the more rural. Uh, neighborhood where my sister lives so i think i may have picked it up from her from her from my brother-in-law who is from west virginia <laughs> i actually don't know if he's from i don't think he's from down here huntington i think he's more his family is strictly appalachia but that sip brought to you by the lovely taste of coca-cola zero cherry uh um th- this movie bart millard is an asshole he is an unrepentant asshole, but because Jesus, we're supposed to root for him. Literally. That's the only reason we're supposed to root for him. Because Jesus. Like, the whole, they, <laughs> the funny thing is, they try to play off his band as like a legitimate band. Like, mercy, we're called Mercy Me, not because of Christ or anything, but because it's like, hey, what do y'all think of our song? And the mom's like, Mercy? He tells this really stupid anecdote that doesn't, that's really unnatural about why they're called Mercy Me. And they're picked up by a guy who introduces them to Amy Grant. Why are you trying to hide the fact that they're a Christian band? Oh, right. Because that's lame. Because he is lame. He geeks out at Amy Grant. I geeked out when I met Chris Hemsworth and Weird Al, and I'm more butch than Bart Millard is. Because he geeked out when meeting Amy freaking Grant. And once again, nothing against you for liking Amy Grant. You can like Amy Grant. You can enjoy Amy Grant. To lose, he legitimately goes incoherent trying to talk to Amy freaking Grant. Amy Grant, soft rock, you know, soft rock angel of the 80s is, is, is like his idol. His idol is Amy Grant. <laughs> I would be more supportive of him if his idol was Debbie freaking Boone. 
I would re- I would geek out over Debbie Boone over Amy Grant. Because, honestly, Debbie Boone released way better music than Amy Grant. That is objective fact. I will fight you on that. Sorry, I'm getting... I'm real combative because I hate the fact that Love, Simon is doing worse than this at the box office. Where... Where freaking Dennis Quaid is trembling through the whole movie. He's doing his best Clint Eastwood impression, apparently. And, like, his dad is abusive? Yes. We get that. They don't outright say his dad's an alcoholic and abusive. And, and like, like, there's only one scene where he actually draws blood from Bart. But at the same time, the only reason he draws blood from the kid... It's because the kid's an asshole. I know you're not supposed to support abusive people. You should never do that. However, the way the scene plays out, Bart is being a smart aleck little little pissant to his dad who made him breakfast. His dad made him breakfast. He's giving him breakfast. You're all somewhere. Mom's, you know, hey, how about you eat some breakfast? You know, breakfast. And, his, and Bart's all like, when did you start making breakfast? I would smack Bart across the back of the head, too. I wouldn't probably wouldn't draw blood, but screw you, Bart, you pissant little brat. The hell you think you are? Like, this movie is making me root for an abusive father because the protagonist is a complete and utter asshole. The only reason he's a protagonist and the only reason we even are supposed to care about him is because Jesus and he wrote a Jesus song. And that's the thing. I'd only heard the bit of the second part of the chorus. Uh, I can only imagine when that day has come and I find myself some or another. Because I used to watch late night cable TV and one of the religious uh, al- uh, like uh, collective albums had that song on it. That's the only reason I even know that song exists. Was because the same, you know, the same uh, channels that would play like hair, the best of hair metal, or love, you know, love bikes, the best of hair metal, love ballads, uh, would also do best, you know, best uh, faith based music, and it legit played those commercials, legit played out exactly like the Faith Plus One commercial from South Park, the one where they make fun. That commercial is exactly. What those commercials advertising faith-based albums were like. Yep, yep. If you wanna, if you wanna relive those, go look them up on YouTube or just look up the clip from South Park Faith Plus One, uh, because that's exactly the same damn thing. So when they started playing the song in the movie, in the movie that's named after, it is the most. I'm sorry. I am so sorry if this song is inspirational to you, if you think it's genuinely good, and it helped you through a bad time. Pay no attention to me. 
I'm just giving my opinion. You are you there. I cannot take away the fact that that song is inspirational to you, that you enjoy it, or that it helped you. Please know this when I say that song is the most generic piece of crap I have ever heard. Genuinely. Genuinely the the most generic, faux-inspirational piece of tripe I have ever heard put to music. I I am singing in my in my old Catholic church choir. We are singing songs that are better written than that piece of tripe for Easter Vigil. And they're not exactly but one of them is one of them is literally he did it just for me when he died on Calvary. I'm glad I made the choice so my soul would not be lost. Or to put it like the song, he did it just for me when he died on Cal. He did it just for me when he died. And I I don't know the melody for that because I'm on bass. Um, he did it just for me. And bass parts just like da 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 So, um, sorry, uh, I got sidetracked because, yeah, talking about the, talking about my bass part in a gospel song that I'm singing in, as part of my old church's choir is more, is more interesting to me than this movie. And I'm sorry. I am, you, please, ignore me. And continue to find the song inspirational. Continue to find the song enjoyable. You have, you are more than welcome to do that. That is your right as a human being. Please, just remember that don't come to me with that because I will laugh and laugh. That will take me to my laughing place, to quote Uncle Remus. Oh, just wow oh god yeah like he did it just for me when he died on calvary i'm glad i made the choice so my soul would not be lost that's more inspirational to me than anything and i can only imagine like he literally says in the movie he wrote it in 10 minutes who does that and everyone's like oh my god it's the best thing ever it's so inspirational and i'm just like Oh, wait, you're serious. Let me laugh even harder. <laughs> oh, oh, lovely. Lovely. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, and of course, the whole thing is that, oh, because... His, here's the thing. Bart likes to make it sound like his Jesus made his dad a better person. In actuality, dying made his dad a better person. Because, spoiler of spoilers, the only reason his dad picks up, uh, picks up baptism, picks up, uh, Baptist, uh, picks up the practicing baptism and, and the Baptist teachings is because he's dying of pancreatic cancer. The only reason his dad turned his life around was because he was about to not have any of it. And he would much rather spend the rest of his life being a better person 
than to be an asshole anymore. He's, he got sick of being an asshole, and he started... You see it. You see it. When Bart's still in high school, and being played by the same guy who plays adult Bart for some reason, you see it when, he's in, when he initially has to go to the hospital. You see his dad start to try and want to turn things around because he gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. You could literally take out Jesus from this movie and it could be the same thing. His dad only became a better person because he was dying of cancer. And of course, of course, everyone turns to Jeebus when the cancer comes. When the cancer man comes a calling. Sorry, sorry. That's really, that's a really bad take on it. Just, that's what these movies do. They exploit your in your empathies towards people who are, who do die of cancer. Like, that is a whole thing. Like, ironically, if you listen to GAM, uh, God Awful Movies, the podcast, which I highly recommend if you're into mocking bad Christian movies, and they've since expanded into, um, they covered Vaxxed, the documentary by that asshole who got uh, his medical license taken away for being, you know, terrible at his job at being a doctor. Uh, they've also reviewed some... Um, they're, they started reviewing, I think, the Nigerian series. Uh, uh, oh, God, what's that called? Uh, Vultures or something. Vultures of Horror. Uh, and they've also started covering some Indian movies and some uh, is- Islamic movies. So they've expanded beyond Christianity. And I think, they're, I think I'm about to hit a point where they start covering uh, more Orthodox Jew- Jewish movies. Things that are much more in line with Judaism. So it's not they it started out being mainly evangelical Christian movies and has since expanded into just anything within that realm of religiosity or like wooism, you know, any kind of woo or mysticism or spiritualism, which is good. I think that gives them a much wider array of material to cover cuz god knows eventually they were going to run out of they're going to do uh Christian movies on a week by week basis after uh, about like a re- new release basis after a certain point if they didn't uh, you know, if they kept it to just evangelical stuff but there's a thing in Christian movies you start to notice if you watch them continuously you become an atheist when your parent dies of cancer so by Christian movie logic Bart Millard should be an atheist because his dad died of cancer. So this movie goes against its own, its own tropes logic. This genre's logic is that Bart Miller should be an atheist because that's the only reason Christians turn into atheists is their parents die of cancer. So how did how is Bart Miller so special that he didn't turn to atheism when his dad died of cancer? These are the questions that Christian movies raise. <laughs> oh, oh lordy lordy. This is a this is a very stream of consciousness review because you can't talk about this thing like it's an actual movie because it's not. Even though it's a biopic of this guy's life, it is straight up religious propaganda through and through. Just because it's got Dennis Quaid and Cloris freaking Leachman of all people. Poor Cloris Leachman had to be dragged out and bust to the set for this garbage for not doing anything. Like, you did not need to force Cloris Leachman to be on set for this movie. You wasted a Cloris Leachman. 
Claire Switchman is still hilarious in her golden years, and you wasted her for a throwaway role that could have been played by a nine-year-old in a gray wig. <sighs> yeah, I can only imagine you would enjoy this movie if you have very low bars of quality. Like, if you are already drinking the Kool-Aid and this is for you, be my guest, because... The only thing this does for me is give me the giggles. Just thinking about it now makes me laugh. Oh, boy. Here we go. They have TNT on the plane and all around the building. As soon as they know we're coming, they start to kill the men, the women, the children. They want the world to watch. Whatever happens, we did the right thing. This movie actually sprang up on me. I completely forgot it was coming out in March. And I was all worried about being well-read on what happened. In order to give it some context. And I wasn't able to get as much as I could uh, from um, my from what research I was able to do in such short amount of time. But it honestly doesn't matter. I don't need to give you much context because this movie isn't worth seeing. You generally, genuinely do not need to see this movie. There are other interpretations of this, of, of this operation. Uh, it's dubbed Operation Thunderbolt in the movie. It has since been dubbed Operation Tebby. Uh, for the Israeli Defense Force. And there are other movies out there that cover this. I don't know if they're any good. I don't know if they are if they act more as uh, Israeli propaganda and support of the Israelis doing the right thing. This movie doesn't do that, but it also doesn't do much of anything. This movie doesn't give you any real context for what's happening besides... Oh, Palestine was all pissed off because their land was taken from them f to form the Israeli state. So that's why the Palestinians are all pissed off. That's like the only context they give to you why Palestinian why the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has been going on since nineteen since the formation of Israel. Like it has no real nuance. And this is the director of uh, Elite Squad. Uh, from from Brazil, it's a Brazilian sort of anti-fascist uh, action movie, and in, and from what I hear, though those movies are the reason he got uh, picked to remake RoboCop. So if you remember the RoboCop remake from like two thousand nine, this is that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's not he he not he not doing so great. I know he's producing Narcos for Netflix, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe he just does better with uh, his native Portuguese and tackling subjects he's better at because him directing this movie about um, Israel and Palestine and hijacking and hostages, like, it's dull, 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 dull. Like, it could put you to sleep. It's so dull. Like, most hostage movies are genuinely taut and tense 
and you feel like like here's the thing i'm currently working my way through the now playing podcast and they're covering dunkirk and they are praising dunkirk for its tension and the way it builds up and you're worried something's gonna happen at any moment that's what this movie should be seven days in a is about a hostage situation where you could you should feel you should be able to hear a pin drop it should be so quiet. It should be that... Everyone should be that tense throughout the entire movie. Instead, it's just like, eh, okay, we're taking the plane now. Bam, 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 whatever. Yo, like, everybody go here now. And then Idi Amin shows up and says things. And then he goes off screen for, like, 20 minutes or 20, 30 minutes or so. So the Israelis can debate, like... Uh, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We can't invade. We can't invade a, a sovereign nation. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We have to rescue these hostages. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Uh, we can't negotiate with terrorists. They lit, someone. Uh, I think in the. Who was it? I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to misquote them. Here, let me pull up the wiki for this. So Wikipedia, and that's the other thing, that's the weird thing too, is that in everywhere else, this movie is just known as Entebbe. For the American release, it was redubbed Seven Days in Entebbe, just for the American release, not for anywhere else. The international release, literally everywhere else, it was just called Entebbe. I don't know why Amer- in America it was called Seven Days in Entebbe because that doesn't really make a difference. Um, who was it? Who was it that said the thing? Uh, what's his great quote? Mm. Was it Richard Roper? Here we go. Uh, yes. <laughs> Richard Roper, uh, who was the second co-host uh, for Roger Ebert, and is continual, continuing to uh, review movies for the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, gave it half, half, half of his rating system, two out of four. And he wrote, All too often in Seven Days in Entebbe, primary characters on all sides of the 70s period piece, political thriller, state the obvious, and then state it again. And then have to stand around while someone else states the obvious one more time, just in case the folks in the seats have yet to grasp the stakes at hand and the dilemmas in play. Nail on the head, right there. Richard Roper says it better than I could. It's literally just, like I said, you know, the Israelis are debating whether or not to negotiate with terrorists or to go in there and send their military, which we know they're going to send the military, damn it. You don't need to flip-flop on whether or not they're going to do it unless you have a point, damn it. And then meanwhile, there's two Germans who were, who became involved with the Palestinian liberation and... They're debating, like, we shouldn't have come here. Why are, you know, you are too soft. We shouldn't have come here. We're going to come off as Nazis. Oh, really, you think? Assisting Palestinian, two Germans assisting Palestinian liberation, where they, sequ- where they sequester off Jewish passengers from a, from a Tel Aviv flight. Gee, you think? Did you think about this? You could easily support Palestinian liberation without, without resulting in a hijacking. You numb nuts. But this is just what happened. And then they put it off for dramatic effect. I don't, we don't know. They, they could just as easily have really tried to play off these two Germans as sympathetic. When they could have just been full on like, 
We don't care about the passengers. We just want to. We just want to make a statement about Palestine. But yeah, it's Rosamund Pike and Daniel Bruhl as the two Germans who are ostensibly our leads. And like, here's the thing: the reason I say it doesn't really do much of anything is because you could use this movie to make a commentary on Israeli misuse of force. That is Israel, by being more uh, hawkish, is only making things worse. Which it tries to tack on at the end. With the Prime Minister being like, if we can't learn to negotiate, we'll always be at war. And it's like, well then why didn't you actually negotiate, you numb nuts? <sighs> yeah. Quit, tr- yeah, I feel like those things like that are things that were tacked on to try and give this movie more weight than it actually had going for it. And, yeah, but at the same time, the only hijackers we get to learn about are the two white Germans. The rest of the Palestinian hijackers are just treated as generic Arabic villains. That's what they're treated like. We don't learn... There's one guy who gives, who tells Daniel Bruhl about what really happened, you know, about why he's fighting and why he feels forced to fight and chastises him for leaving his comfort, leaving the comfort of his home in Germany to play soldier. But they don't, we don't really get to learn about the Palestinian hijackers. It does not, it's not about, it's neither about the abuse of force by the Israelis, nor is it about the, the plight of the Palestinian people and why they felt the need to hijack. Nor is it about, you know, the conflict in and of itself. Like, why did, you know, why, you know, where is the beginning to this? What came, you know, what came first? Who, who threw the first stone? Who, who fired the first shot? It's, it doesn't try to look into that. It doesn't, it just makes... The Palestinians look like savage villain villain hijackers like they would in any other movie. And they made uh, the two Germans the most sympathetic out of the two. And shock of shocks, they made the two white they made the two white people the most sympathetic. Uh, and like I remember um I, I watched uh Brad uh Cinema Snob uh his his uh, midnight screening review of it, and they were they were throwing around comparisons to things like uh, Munich or All the Money in the World. Not in good, not in not in like oh this is of that same. No, this is nowhere near that quality because I haven't. I never finished Munich. I need to go back and rewatch Munich. I remember liking what I saw, but I don't remember. It's like with Sicario, where I remember seeing it, but I don't remember anything about it. So to, that's another thing I have to revisit. Um, but Munich, I do remember Munich, and especially all the money in the world, which I which which came out last, which came out in December, so it wasn't that long ago. Both of them humanized the hijackers and showed them as you know as three dimensional characters. From what I remember, they showed the Palestinians as three dimensional characters doing what they thought was right, and the Israelis were the Mossad agents. We're doing what they thought was right. And it was a matter of what, which one, it, who is right when they both think they're right and determining it for yourself. That's what I remember about Munich was that 
It's about you know the Mossad agents trying to come to terms with the fact with do they think is what they're doing the the right thing to do, and and so you know and the Palestinian and you know looking into the lives of the Palestinian high, uh, uh, terrorists, uh, the the black uh, was it Black October? Was that the was that the movement uh, that attacked the Olympics? I want to say it's Black October. It was Black something. Palestinian terrorist group Black September. Yeah, that, that's the that's the other problem too with with um, that I've learned with Palestine is that they're not centralized. So there's the various groups that want to fight for Palestinian liberation, but there's not. I think they've gotten better. I think there is a more recognized sort of Palestinian de facto government that doesn't have a state that it serves, but it represents the Palestinian people. I could be wrong. Once again, feel free. If you're more uh, familiar with Palestine than I am and with the current situation there, feel free to correct me. I am more than happy to make any corrections to what I've said on this podcast. But I believe from what I remember that there is a, there is a sort of leadership within Palestine, but there's not like, um, it's not completely centralized. If it's not, there's not like a Palestinian army. There's just various um, sec, you know, sec, you know, sections of the of Palestinian various Palestinian liberation groups vying for control. From what I remember, because I mean, like, there's a diff- Black September is different from the hijackers, uh, the Palestinian Palestinian the popular front for Pal- for li- for the liberation of Palestine, PFLP. Uh, was di- you know so there's differing there were differing uh i think it may have, it may have changed since the 70s but yeah there were there was a i know that that was a thing going on there but um th- yeah so black september yeah um i just was trying to remember black september but yeah um personally from what i know from what i'm familiar with what i know of the situation i I'm of the mindset that I would much rather see a two-state solution, the existence of an, of an Israeli state, and the existence of a Palestinian state. And Palestinians have a home the same way that the Israelis have a home. The reason Israel was created was because the Jewish people felt they had no home. The Palestinians have been left without a home in the wake of that. And I feel like it should have been initially... From the onset, it should have been, this land will be sectioned off and form Israel. This land will be sectioned off, would be, will be sectioned off and form Palestine. Palestine shall continue to exist as its own state aside from Israel. I feel like that should have been the thing. And Palestine should have been its own, Palestine should have been created 1947, same day as Israel. In hindsight, that probably would have been the best solution, but, you know, hindsight is always 2020. But yeah, I I am much I am much more in support of Palestinian liberation, Palestinian statehood than I. But I'm also not. But I also would, don't. I'm not against the existence of the Israeli state, and I support the existence of a Jewish state there. I just know that I don't support the current administration. And that's the other thing too is Netanyahu's brother died. Was the only casualty. I you know. During this operation. So is it any wonder that there's a movie. 
made about his, you know dear old uh, BB's brother's uh, martyrdom. Yeah, you'd think it'd be more about maybe the, I know there was a there was an Israeli movie about the operation made not too long after it happened, and I th- and I think it probably played up more of BB's brother as a character to make to play up the fact that he's the one uh, Israeli who dies in the operation. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so not so. Hey, the one guy who died is related to the guy who became prime minister. I don't think it's too much. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's only coincidental. But at the same time, like it, it almost makes you raise questions. Like, why are we telling this story now? Is it like an election? Is is it an election year? I know. Um, Russia is having their elections. They had their elections today, as of this recording, uh, the eighteenth. Hold on a second. Elections in Israel. 15 elections. Next Israeli legislative election. Will be held in 2019. So there, we're still one year off from the next Israeli election. So it's not like this could, you could argue this is like a nice promo for like, hey, remember what remember what BB's BB's brother did? Remember who what remember what he died fighting for? Don't you want to vote for his brother again? Uh so I don't think it's that. It's it's too soon for that. But I know I yeah, it's all that always and that's the other thing too, is that um I don't know the the actual uh I believe his name is Shimon. Uh Shimon. Shimon Perez. I don't know the actual Shimon Perez, but the guy playing him makes him feel like the like a complete slimy snake in the grass. Like he feels like every despicable backstabbing character in every work of fiction. Like he feels like if Grima Wormtongue teamed up with uh what's Wormtail from uh from um Harry Potter. If Wormtail and Wormtongue became one character, it would be Shimon Perez in this movie. Because he's always like slimy and like, we have to do this. This is the only option. We can't negotiate with terrorists. And he's just slimy and disgusting. And you, know, poor, and you feel like Yitzhak Rabin is the only voice of reason. Which he died, he was assassinated... By a Jewish extremist for signing a peace treaty with Palestine. So, I mean, like, he probably was a, trying to be a voice of reason. And no one wanted to, no one liked that he was trying to do that. But I don't know. So, I don't know Shimon Perez. I don't know him as a person. I can't speak to how he, how he was. I just know that the depiction of him in this movie is disgusting. He looks slimy, he acts slimy, he even sounds slimy. He sounds like he oozes just bile and, and just, ick. Like some kind of thick ichor that, that, that's bitter and nasty. That's how he comes off in this movie. And then uh, the one thing most people will probably be talking about is the fact that it's also tied into an, uh, an interpretive dance concert. 
one of the soldier's girlfriends is in an interpretive dance. And then the climax is cutting back and forth between this dance performance and the actual operation in Entebbe. As though, like, this, this military operation is a dance. You know, they move like dancers, shooting these terrorists. Ding, 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 ding. It's like a dance. It's really stupid. And, yeah, I can't really recommend you go see this. It's not worth seeing. It's not a... Be- it's, a it's definitely going to end up on my blandest of this year because it's not... So bad to be on my least favorite. It's not that offensive to me. Although they did leave out the part that because the Israelis came in through Kenya, Idi Amin went on a retaliation and slaughtered like like hundreds if not thousands of Jewish people living in Uganda and and people had to flee into Kenya. They even I think attacked Kenya because of the because of the because of uh, because they aided Israel. And they lost a soldier because of it. Uh, yeah, there was a Ugandan casualty in this. And uh, Israel basically got away with a pat on, with a slap on the wrist. Like, the UK and the US are like, well, what are you gonna do? Everybody's kind of in the wrong, you know? But that's the thing. Like, by all accounts, Israel didn't really try to negotiate. They just, they were more interested in... Uh, in a military operation than they were a diplomatic operation. Uh, so yeah, this movie is is nowhere near as interesting as the actual thing that happened. It's a dull roar of a ride. It's like if... Um, it's, it's basically like if it's a small world instead of having like... It, if, if you want to ride as slow as it's a small world... But instead of them singing this obnoxious song, it was just them being like, let's slowly debate politics until somebody does a weird interpretive dance at the end. Woo. Let's flip-flop back and forth on all these issues and never come to a conclusion. That's this movie. It's a slow ride that ends in a weird d- interpretive dance. And there's interpretive dancing even through the credits, which doesn't make any damn sense. What did dance have to do with this movie? What did this movie have to do with dancing? There's no reason for the dancing. Anyway, Seven Days in Tabby. It'd be forgettable if it wasn't for the weird dancing out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, it's, this should not have come out in theaters. This should have been released directly to red boxes. It does, it's not worth paying 10 bucks ahead to see. And with that being said, let's get into uh, the discussion in hand, which, as I hinted at before, is going to be all about diversity and representation. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Rurouni is a neologism created by the original author of the Rurouni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network.
promise I won't make this discussion too long. One, because it's sort of been I spent 90 minutes reviewing the last four movies. And number two, because well, this isn't really my place to discuss. I can give you my observations. I can tell you to go support other more qualified people to speak on this topic. But I feel like it does need to be said. And this is honestly one of the best weekends to say it. Because we've got a strong female character-led film action movie that doesn't center on... that. Like, the only real problem is that it centers on her and her father's relationship. But it's also... But at least it's not a romantic coupling, you know. There's not... She's not forced into a romantic relationship by the end of the movie. So that's... So I... You know, so there's definitely good spots for that. We've got a gay uh, coming-of-age romantic comedy that it... That allows for a... For a widely diverse... Uh array of of people in it from you know people of color people of varying uh sexual orientations and then of course we've got a movie that does some of the wrong things like it takes a movie it takes uh it takes a movie about the israeli palestinian conflict and focuses on the two white folk involved in the hijacking so good on you movie good job there and this is why we have to, you know, we have to talk about the fact that there is still much work to be done when it comes to diversity and representation in film. Like I said, I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm only echoing what other more qualified people have spoken about. And I, I think this is showing bright promise. You know, the fact that Black Panther is still five weeks running number one in the box office is a great sign. I think the fact that uh, A Wrinkle in Time is doing as well. I think it did... How much did uh, A Wrinkle in Time make back? A Wrinkle in Time uh, dropped down to number four and lost half of its... uh, It dropped from half uh, in terms of earnings. Ooh, $70 million. So it's not doing as well. But at the same time, I'm glad it exists. Even though it's a hot mess... I'm, it's a hot mess that I'm glad exists because it allows for such a diverse cast of characters in it and a diverse cast of actors in it, especially. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you talk to black filmmakers, black writers, uh, any minority writer or filmmaker or creative type, they will continually tell you how important representation is. There's a there's a comic going around. I forget who drew it. Um, I forgot who drew it. Uh, let me see if I could find it. Let's see if I can find. Uh, where that. Um, it's a, it was going around social media. Uh, recently, and it's a picture of, uh, I think it's, um, what was, what is, uh, Lupita Nago's character? Uh, oh crap, what is her, what is her name? Uh, why did I forget, uh, why did I forget Lupita Nago's character? Um, that's been, it's been, well, it's been a month since I saw the movie. 
uh, something was about to, uh, something had to give in terms of memory, Nakia. So it was, I think it was Nakia and, uh, and T'Challa and the Black Panther poster. And it showed two black kids, a black boy and a black girl pointing up at the poster and saying, that's me. And it just emphasized the whole idea behind why representation is important. So that kids going to the movies see themselves on the screen. For set, for over a century now, it's been mainly heteronormative white people in charge of, the, of who these people are. And now we're starting to see diversification in terms of... Black-led movies, you know, gay-led movies, things that aren't on the fringes of mainstream, that aren't independent movies, that are being produced by big Hollywood studios. And I think mainly the success of Black Panther showcases that this sort of thing is sorely needed and that it, do- it is about quality because Black Panther is a high-quality movie. That's why it's... Conti- that's why, it's, sadly... Black Panther is doing so, still doing so well, while A Wrinkle in Time is struggling just to make ends meet. Because while A Wrinkle in Time is doing something similar along the lines of Black Panther in terms of allowing for a diverse cast with a black with a young with a black lead in, in both in both t- terms in with uh, Black Panther it's a black it's an adult black male in A Wrinkle in Time it's a young black female. A Wrinkle in Time ultimately has a lot more problems with it in terms of its adaptation, how much they left out, in terms of the fact that it's kind of off-putting. It has a lot of, it's almost like a fantasy movie from the 80s, something like Legend or The Dark Crystal, where it's kind of off-putting and more ethereal than logical. And and some people probably won't get into that, and they especially don't want to pay $10 to see something that they probably won't like. So they hear word of mouth is and that the movie's not that great, and they'd be like, "Oh wait!" Whereas Black Panther, the word of mouth is all you gotta see this movie, and so people are continuing to support Black Panther because it's a good movie. And I wish more word of mouth was going about Love Simon. I highly recommend you go not only see Love Simon but tell people to see Love Simon. We need to get Love Simon to bolster up its numbers. And to let people know that it's a good movie, it deserves to be seen. Way more than I can only imagine. And that's the whole thing. Is that I, I you know, I'm, I, the reason I'm, I don't want to harp too much on it. Because, is because, I'll put it to you this way. I've, I met recently with an old friend of mine uh, from college who, who was transitioned and I, I won't give too much information because that's all private. But, th- but they, uh, they have told me on several occasions that they see me as the perfect ally. In that I, always, I beat myself up over misusing pronouns. And that I always want to bolster them and show them love and show and showcase them off and allow and and be a support for them rather than rather than to be i put it i I put it this way 
before he started making an ass of himself again, Bernie Sanders, during the campaign trail, had a glorious moment. Not the bird one uh, earlier in the campaign. Where he... Where the stage had two black females come on who represented Black Lives Matter. And in a decision that most people derided him for, said, oh, he's showing weakness. How could he give the mic to to these people? How can we accept him as our president? But that's the thing. A good ally knows when to take a step back, shut the damn mouth, and let the people who want to be heard speak for themselves. That's why I don't want to talk on this too much, because it's not my place to discuss it. More people. I highly recommend you go support uh, Fishnet Cinema. I've mentioned her before in the podcast, Jordan Searles. Um, Fishnet, podcast, uh, Fishnet Cinema is her blog, and she does uh, bad... Uh, what is it? Bad romance uh, something or another? Crap. Hold on, let me... Maybe it's on her website. Um, oh, I have to read a wrinkle in time review. Oh, I have to go back and read her. Uh, right. Oh, yes. Yes, she she put... Uh, she put... Um, uh, uh, rough Night on her worst of list. Uh, what's her... Um, What's her what's her podcast though? Um Let me see. Uh There it is. I put the E in the wrong part of her name. Uh where is the podcast? What is the podcast? What is the podcast? Uh, Bad Romance Pod. Okay, yeah, the Bad Romance Podcast, which she does with uh, Bronwyn Isaac. And they talk about really bad romantic comedies. Uh, Go support her. Go listen to her on this subject. She is a better person to talk about this. Uh, I'm actually going to use the rest of this discussion to point out... um, Point out people you should support. Even though I got on the... I, I made an ass of myself... Uh, with them, I highly recommend you go support uh, Black Girl Nerds. I think that's what. Let me go to my profile. I got into a. Th- I, I got. I made an ass. Of my- I say I made an ass of myself because it was about. Um, uh, what's her name? Brown. V. Brown. What's her name? Not Vanessa Brown. Uh, Harry Potter whitewash because it was about the whole um recap lavender brown i know there's a v in there somewhere uh the whole recasting of lavender brown to a white girl once it once uh she became a love interest for ron weasley and i didn't see it and i thought it was just a mistake but it turns out it was the same actress throughout the rest of the movie until up until uh half-blood prince so i was in the wrong and i was the asshole I'm willing to. I'm willing to make that. Make, I'm willing to make acknowledge that because, yeah, I. I you know I'm not. I that's the whole. That's that's the one thing I've becoming. 
more, uh, that I've wanted to do more and more with my life is to is to um, is to acknowledge when I'm being the asshole and to make amends for it. I don't want to you know if I'm being the asshole, I need to know about it. I need to be called out on it in order for me to see that I'm being the asshole and to become a better person. And that's, um, did I mute? No. So it wasn't a mute, it wasn't a block. Maybe she blocked me. No, no, uh, she completely forgot I exist as she should because I am a nobody. Um, maybe I'll try to get back in and getting back in the discussion now that I'm, now that I've seen, now that I've become less of an asshole, more aware of when I am in the wrong and, you know, only say something when it's, when it's, when it's, when I have actually, when I have some, something of value to input into the conversation. That's the other thing about being an ally that I've learned. What, like, like I said, know when to keep your damn fool mouth shut because so, because you, when you got nothing to say, when you have nothing of value to add to the conversation, you don't need to talk. You don't need to say anything. Let the, let the people who are having the conversation talk. Let them discuss. Bolster the voice of the, of the person you agree with. You don't need to speak for them. Tell you, talk, think of it this way. Instead of it being online, think of it as being in person. Somebody you support is having a conversation with somebody being uh, a sea lion. Which is when somebody unknowingly acts in ignorance in order to defer the conversation into you explaining things. Because they would rather feign ignorance than actually have the conversation. So let's say you have you see a woman of color having this kind of conversation with a white dude. Instead of speak instead of interrupting and speaking for the woman of color, be be stand in the background and show support for her conver- show support for what she is saying and let her speak. Let the person speak, let the group speak, let the members of that group speak. And bolster their voices, echo their voices, share their words, and let them speak for themselves. Your voice does not need to be added unless it is unless there is something you can add to the conversation. That is the one thing I have learned about being a good ally. Know when to add to the conversation and otherwise keep your keep your mouth shut. Um, but yeah, I go support black girl nerds. Um, I follow a bunch of people. I think Lauren Warren is another one. Um, I am Lauren P. Uh, over on Twitter is another one. Owner of Valdivic Pro, Valdivictorian, Val, Val, Valid Victorian Productions. Uh, she's a, uh, black, uh, writer and filmmaker and director and whatnot. And I follow her on Twitter. She's got some some amazing responses to stuff. 
and she is just she has just brightened up my feed to no end. Um, I follow uh, Lexi Alexander. Uh, she is probably best known for directing Green Street Hooligans, as well as uh, um, Punisher War Zone. Those are her two best known films. But but she's all, but um, if you dig it, let's see. Let's dig into her IMDb real quick. What else would you know? I I specifically know uh, Green Street Hooligans and Punisher War Zone. But I there she is. Uh, uh, for those outside the U.S., uh, Green Street Hooligans is just known as Hooligans, and um, it stars Elijah Wood and Charlie Hunnam, like actual Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam. I think that's pre uh, Friday Night Lights. Charlie Hunnam was that what he's known for? Sons of Anarchy. Pre Sons of Anarchy. Charlie Hunnam. Interesting. Um, let's go revisit that. Uh, what else did uh, she's been directing TV stuff lately? Episodes of uh, she directed an episode of Arrow, Supergirl, the Limitless series, American Gothic, uh, the Taken series. She directed uh, an episode of How to Get Away with Murder this season. So, uh, the last movie she did was Lifted, which I never saw. 13-year-old Henry Matthew struggles with life after his reservist father is deployed to Afghanistan with the help of a local pastor. The boy decides to take part in a local singing contest. Huh. So, it looks like Christ exploitation, but it's written and directed by Alexi Alexander. Well, the heck is in this movie? Nobody I've ever heard of. Where did they make this? U.S. English, Irondale, Alabama. Huh. Weird. I have to, go ch- I have to check this out then and see if it's any good. I like her stuff. I know that. Um, but you know, if she's a prominent uh, advocate for Palest- for Palestine and for Palestinian people being of uh, Palestinian descent, so I you know go you can go follow her as well on Twitter. Um, I don't think I have as many uh, eight like Asian uh, film people that I follow that speak that are you know very prominent. I kind of follow I follow Arthur Chu, but I think he's just a reporter, not specifically like a filmmaker or anything like that. Uh, let me see. Let me pull him up. Arthur Chu, uh, mad genius, comedian, actor, freelance voiceover and broadcasting for the distant shores of Lake. Dudes in Broadview Heights? Dudes in my neck of the woods. I did not know that. I assumed he was in LA or New York or something. I thought he was over I thought he was out out in like real places. I did not know he's in my neck of the woods. I'll be damned. Huh. Shout out to Arthur Chu, fellow Ohioan. Um No, uh that's the, yeah, that's the whole thing. And I just, I just want to say that in order to be a good ally, the best thing to do is to bolster those voices. Tell people to go listen to the people better qualified to speak on them subject. And, and echo those voices so that the people making films know that you want these. Don't forget to also speak with your dollars. Go support movies that allow for diversity and it and of course it helps if you if if you want to if the movie's actually good in the term in in case in the cases of uh love simon and black panther but you still want to 
I mean, that's the whole reason Fast... Think about it. The whole reason Fast and the Furious does so well, it's it's a pretty diverse cast. It's not all white dudes. I mean, number one, it's fast cars. That works well in any language, but... You think about the casting of Fast and the Furious. I mean, it's been getting a little bit wider lately. Uh, let's take a look at... Uh, fa- let's see, Fast and Furious 6. Maybe that'll take us to Fate of the Furious or Furious... There we go. Furious 7, Fast and Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious. Let's go with Furious 7. Let's pull up that one. Uh, come on. There we go. Uh, we've got Vin Diesel, who is... What exactly? Uh, what is his ethnic background? I mean, he's he's mixed. He's definitely mixed. Um, mother is... Uh, it's, it's multi-European... Uh, English, German, Scottish, Irish. Adoptive father is black. Uh, he he's of honest. Uh, it's hard to say. His uh, he I, I, you know what would be interesting. One of those uh, DNA testers to look into Vin Diesel. He would be the perfect, um, the perfect advertiser for that. Him and The Rock, because everyone's always like, well, shoot, well, what are they? Like, what is, like, it always feels weird. And it, and be like, hey, you want to know, here's what we are. You can find out what you are, too. I'm coming up with all kinds of garbage. Um, speaking of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, uh, he, I know he's a Pacific Islander. I think Samoan. I think, it, I think Samoan. Um. Father is black, Nova Scotian, and his mother is Samoan. Yeah. So he's black Samoan mixed, and so he's got two mixed, uh, uh, two mixed people of color in the in the case of Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. You've got Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson, two black supporting characters. You've got Michelle Rodriguez, a leading uh, Hispanic female, uh, Gal Gadot. Who uh, you know? Who is of Israeli descent? You've got. Um, I know in. Uh, where is she in this? I know they added a black actress in this. Where the hell is she? She's buried under freaking Luke Evans, Tony Jaa, Jamon Honsu, uh, Sun Kang, Ali Fazal, Ronda Rousey. Um, Iggy Azalea. Oh God, that's right. She was in and in, in uh, Furious Seven. Where the heck is she? T Pain was in that. Damn, I forgot how many people were in that. Oh, maybe she was introduced in uh, Furious Eight. Where the heck is it? Fate of the Furious. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. Uh... Ed Statham, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Charlize Theron. Oh, look at this. There she is. Yeah, Natalie Emmanuel. Um, so you've got... And bo- and that's the other thing, too, is the two black supporting characters are techies. Ludacris, Chris Bridges... Chris Ludacris Bridges is a, is a tech nerd. 
as is um, Natalie Emmanuel, who is who is Harriet in the Maze Runner series, and Missandei, Missandei, Missandei. I don't know how you pronounce it from Game of Thrones, and she's another. She's a hacker. So I mean, you've got a diverse cast of people, well, people of all, you know, mo- of pretty much all races represented in some way or another. So you've got Asian people in the supporting cast as well as Hispanic people. Uh, the main cast is centered on two two mixed race, two mixed color leads: uh, Hispanic woman, two black men, uh, now a black woman, and. And uh, what's the next one got lined up for it? Where's the Fast and the Furious Nine? What's that got lined up for 2020? Um, only ones they got signed up are Vin Diesel, Lucas Black, and Tyrese Gibbs. And although uh, he may not be into it, given his meltdown recently, sadly, poor guy. Um, kind of. Uh, I'm kind of uh, digressing a lot here, so uh, let's just say this. Let's just leave it at this. Find the voices of the of whatever group you re- you you want to better represent. You want see to see better representation. Find the members of the LGBT community to, f- to find the members of um, of whatever minority community you feel is underrepresented. Find find people within those communities, bolster their voices, let them be heard, and always remember, in this late-stage capitalism world we live in, your dollars speak the most, and you need to let Hollywood know that those are the movies you want to support. People, Movies with diverse casts that show underrepresented people in them, and, give, and you want those movies to do well go support those movies even if it's just using movie pass go out there and let them know that you're paying money to see the thing you're putting your butt in that seat that's what's important and uh <laughs> next week is uh i think next week is going to be a full on uh Super mega awesome movie review madness because we got like five wide releases coming out. So I've been prattling on long enough. Uh, let's move on to um, let's move on to the trailer talk segment and look at the look at the movies coming out this next weekend. It's a it's a full slate. First up, one I'm highly anticipating: Pacific Rim Uprising. Speaking of representation, uh, this is a real diverse cast. Your father always said he wanted you to be a pilot. He said a lot of things. I'm not a hero like he was. He actually does a solid uh, comparative uh, accent. They're going to come back. To Idris Elba. I'm not going to be stuck waiting for someone else to come save my ass. Cadets, you better gear up. (laughs) 
This is the way the world ends. How'd they get into our world? Someone let them in. Someone from our world. Who is that? Definitely not one of ours. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm really curious how this mech fight, like, what, who are the, who are the two sides on Earth fighting each other? We're gonna need more pilots. We have them. There are pilots we remember as legends, but they didn't start out that way. They started out like us. This is our time to make a difference. Do you understand? Jaeger pilots, do you understand? One way to find out. God, that's so badass. All of the fight scenes in this movie look so awesome. Oh, this tra- this latest trailer is phenomenal. I can't wait. I love that they continued using their um their uh their remix of the Tupac song in it. And they kinda I think they kind of ranted it up a little bit more. And oh just mm, everything. I'm so excited. Yeah! Can't wait. I have to pre-order my tickets just in case they sell out. Um, but uh, we'll see about that. Uh, I should have my evenings opening up pretty soon. So hopefully I can see the 7 o'clock showing. And don't have to wait until like freaking midnight. But we'll see. Um, next up, we've got uh, one I haven't been too, too anticipatory of. I call it Everything Everything Except Whiter. Uh, and that's Midnight Sun. So let's take a look at that. I have this reoccurring dream. I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin and the comfort of arms around me. And I want to stay there forever. But that would be impossible. I have a severe sensitivity to sunlight. Doctor appointments became a part of my routine. It's not going to fall into remission, and every year the risk becomes more serious. So I spend all my time indoors Wait, behind special I windows. It, so sleeping what kind of sensitivity falls? Like, is it a cancer? Music. Every chance I get. Because the only time so can, remission usually comes up is if it's cancer. <sighs> what should I have said? Hey, I'm Katie Price. I've watched you outside my window for the past 10 years, and I've been in love with you, stalking you every minute. This is what Taylor Swift does. She has awkward interactions with boys, and then she just writes amazing songs about it. I don't understand how we've never met. I've probably skated by your house every day on the way to practice. <gasps> hey, you wouldn't want to do something sometime, would you? I'm Fun really fact, that is uh, day, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. <laughs> what does Katie Price want to do? There's so many things I want to do. Why did she meet, wait until now to uh, go outside at night? Like, she couldn't socialize through Facebook? Talk to other people with the same sensitivity online? 
like, why is it only now that she's going out and having fun? Like, she could easily socialize with friends outside at night. More than just a disease. This isn't something this you can just not so tell me. I'm so sorry. But we're not the couple who doesn't try. I don't want a never-ending life. I just want to be alive. Having someone. Yeah. I'm here. That's the best part. And I don't want to see another I don't this movie. Where is this drama coming from? Why? Why couldn't you have done this earlier? Like, I get kids can't stay out too late when they're growing up, but, like, you're a teenager. Why is it until now that it's a problem? Like, what? I don't... I I don't get this movie. Here we go. Once again, everything, everything. The trailer is right there in the suggested because it's literally the same plot. Oh, God, what if it is the same plot? Because that went so... So downhill by the end. I don't think this movie's going. It's going to go that far. But woof. Yeah, this trailer does not inspire confidence. And yeah, fun fact that is in fact um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son with Maria Shriver as the lead. So he's getting in. He's getting attacking. So good for him. We'll see if he's in better movies. Uh, next up, we've got. The highly anticipated Sherlock Gnomes. A five, six, seven, eight. Gnomes just want to have fun. Excuse me. But when their garden is in danger. Julia, the gnomes, they're all gone. One detective will crack the case. Get it? Because he can't say the F word. From the director of Kung Fu Panda. We have to go undercover. We're blending in perfectly. I think we should go. No, we'll stay and fight. Um, we should go. Don't you know? No need a plan. This is it, guys. You ready? Absolutely. You know what you're doing? Definitely. Beat egg. So... What are we doing? I don't know. And they'll need to work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shovel. Whoa. I feel sick. Me too. To save the day. Two forward. Hold. We've been spotted. Sherlock Gnomes. That's not how a squirrel shakes its behind. Gnomes. Shall we demonstrate? Oh, God. Dabbing! Coming soon in 3D. Dabbing! It's it, the, uh, the the twerking was one thing. The the dabbing, the the dabbing. Why the dabbing? As if dabbing wasn't already dead. Now this movie had to go and kill it. So finally seeing this piece of trash, getting it out of the way. I have to go back and revisit the original Sherlock, uh, original Nomeo and Juliet. Here's a fun game. Try to think of any other um, Noman punishment. Ooh, what's another one? Uh, uh, ooh, um, number twins, uh, um, oh, uh, 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 um, great gnome expectations, um, 
Um, try to think of classic literature, only you put gnome. Uh, Wuthering gnomes? Mm, that doesn't work as well. Uh, uh, little gnome? Uh, no, that doesn't work as well. No. Um, mm, gnome women? Nah, not as good. Um, I'm coming up with better movies than this one. Let's try Ooh, let's do, uh... Uh, Slaughterhouse, Slaughterhouse Five with gnomes. There you go. Do Kurt Vonnegut, Gnomes Cradle. There's a movie for you. Uh, next up, Paul, Apostle of Christ, starring Jim Caviezel, Jesus himself, as uh, as the Apostle Paul. Let's look at it from Sony's uh, Affirm Pictures. I think is the ter- is the studio's name. I, Luke, send a message to all those that follow our Lord Jesus Christ. There Weren't these guys, like, a, the didn't world. these guys write things God down a hundred years after the fact? Affirm films, yeah. I know you are suffering persecution. Faith is being tested. I know you question the way. But I've come to Rome to find Paul. To write his story. To bring hope. <laughs> to bring light into this present darkness and to remind us all how God changed a hateful man who will change the history of the world. Luke, am I dreaming? Oh God, is this written? Is this a, from the studio of Risen and War Room? Ah, oh God. God gets you. People are desperate. We're the only light left in the city. Cannot fix their faith. You can inspire their faith. You risk people looking to me before Christ. The day I heard you preach, my God, I saw Christ in you. There are men, women, children that will never meet you. There must be a handwritten account of your acts. What do you really know about these Christians? I am concerned with these documents. We've got to get these out of Rome. Why does uh, why do the Romans have like a Spanish accent, like? Write another word, and I send you to whatever god you want. Luke, this Easter, to what end? Justice. They want revenge. No. Why not? Love is the only way. Jim Caviezel, Olivia Martinez, and James Faulkner. The strength to do what is right. Your people die today. This world doesn't know a thing about love. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Paul, Apostle of Christ! Great PG 13. Jeez, uh. It's. It's it's just gonna be trash. It's gonna be absolute trash because these are never any good. None of them are good. Even the mediocre ones are just that. They the best they could do is mediocre, and oh god, there we go. Oh great, you know what's playing as a recommendation from this video? Mel Gibson confirmed sequel to Passion of the Christ. Oh good, that's great. And lastly, we've got. The latest from Steven Soderbergh, of all things. Unsane. Let's take a look at that.
Huh, I didn't think you could block. Maybe she from you. Is she on an iPhone? Changing. I thought you couldn't block callers on iPhones. Email becomes normal. Taking out a restraining order. Normal. Relocating to another city. Normal. But you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. From director Steven Soderbergh. There's some more forms you need to fill out. Just routine. I finished my homework. Sawyer Valentini, please follow me. Well, look, I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so. What am I doing in here? Take off your clothes down to your underwear. I'm not sure what's happening here. The door's locked. It would be better for everyone, especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. There's been some kind of mistake. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment. I am being held here against my will. Do you know how many calls the cops get like that every week? Those are from crazy people. concern is I worry that this will come off as derogatory towards towards uh, mental health and um, the treatment of mental uh, of mental health with for people who are suffering from disability what I feel like I feel like it wants to try and go for more of a maybe a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of thing but and maybe make make the focus like abuse of people in these sort of situations, you know, abuse of people within these uh, organizations. But at the same time, like I feel like this could do some. This might be damaging if it's not well handled. Thankfully, I think Soderbergh's a good enough director that it won't be that bad. But will but I'm very I'm very anxious when we're when we look at this. I don't know how well this will turn out. But um, I hope for the best, expect the worst. And uh, so, we got a full slate for us next week, and we pushed over two hours for this week. So, uh, that about does it for me, which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to check out more of our fine programming, uh, be sure to look at um, we, Mike and I just recorded recently for Maji Day, and we Do, I know Donna's uh, keeping things up over on her end with like Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, 
the family business wants more feeling. I think they're taking a break on Snarkast. I think that's what she told me, but I'm not sure. But go check out her stuff. Vanessa is is uh, plugging away at uh, running the Las Vegas oddities thing. That's why we haven't been doing too much um, fandom of the podcast, which we're hoping to get back to soon. We just need to get the game. We just need to get the band running again, and then we can get back to recording more uh, Phantom of the Podcast. But uh, in the meantime, she—I think is still doing art, some art. I swear with Jim, and is also uh, running a podcast about the stuff that happens at her shop in Vegas, which I highly recommend you check out as well. Um, no tragic missile for the time being, only because I am. Dealing with a really bad case of audio drift, and it's just gonna have to be me plugging away at it, trying to make it fit. So um, I'll announce, you know, there'll be big announcements when we come back. I ho- I'm hoping to expand our uh, social media presence once I get the episodes ready, and I think I'm gonna wait until I get a bunch of episodes ready because I know there's some audio drift in the other ones as well. I just don't think they're gonna be as bad as this one. This one was really bad. Uh, Zencaster has be- has had bad audio drift problems, and I hope that um, they fix that in the recent update. But we'll see. Uh, if you want to, but if you're not listening to us through our homepage, then you're probably listening to us through the various uh, uh, podcasting feeds that are out there. We are available through iTunes, Google Play, Spotify now, thanks to Libsyn, and whatever your podcasting app you're using, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out too. And if you and if not that, then you can always share us through social media. The social media home of Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And there you'll get all the big announcements of new episode releases, when I'm seeing new releases, when I'm, you know, what, what my initial thoughts are. On the new release, all the all the major announcements come through the Facebook feed. But if you want that plus some extra features, like the munch along segment that I do when I'm watching a movie and commenting along with it, or the trailer talk segment where I comment on the trailers that play before a new release, then you can join me over on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. And like I said, be sure to follow the fine people I recommended earlier. Uh, Jordan Searles is at is at J O U. R-D-A-Y-E-N, I believe. Let me get that right. Uh, I am Lauren P. All one word is the other one for Lauren, for Lauren Warren. Uh, Black Girl Nerds, just that. Uh, uh, yeah, Fishnet Cinema, all one thing. Bad Romance, P-Zero-D. Uh, and then... Jordan herself is J-O-U-R-D-A-Y-E-N. Um, Lexi Alexander is at Lexi Alex. And uh, Arthur Chu is at Arthur underscore effect with an A. And, you know, be sure to follow and support uh, your, you know, people who... You know who uh, those who you wish to see represented. Go support them. Follow them on social media. Share their words. Share their work. Let them be heard. That's how. That's what makes a good ally. And uh, yeah, if you um, but if you want to uh, see those initial reactions to 
uh, stuff. I started to started doing some trailer talk posts as well. You can follow me over on Stardust uh, at Popcorn Junkie, and um, I've started using the um, Instagram as well to share the Stardust posts. So follow me on Instagram. That's where a lot of the main uh, posts of the Facebook feed come from nowadays. Uh, on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I do want to find some more stuff to do through the Instagram. I have. I'm glad I thought of the uh, Stardust posting shares through Instagram as well. It's it's allowed me to be to ha- add that level of creativity and use for the Instagram. But I still need to find more stuff to do with it. I feel like. Uh, but you can also follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie and see those reactions for yourself. Uh, so you can see my rea- my initial reactions to Seven Days in Entebbe. Um I can only imagine, and even some of the trailers that played before, uh, I can only imagine. Um, Like, you can also see some of my trailers, uh, trailer reactions for, uh, ooh, what have I done? Uh, I think I did Mamma Mia, Here Here We Go Again, and um, I think I've got two for Love, Simon. One for the trailer, one for the movie. Uh, You can see my reaction to the Midnight Sun trailer. Uh, So find out all that, find out all that, find all that at um, Popcorn Junkie on the Stardust app. And we had to skip this past weekend just because time problems, time constraints, things needed to get done um, in the wake of uh, certain life events that are happening without going into too much. Um, there's, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a shuffle that had to go on, and I'm hoping to see a change uh, at, my, at my current work to uh, better accommodate... Uh, you know, with the needs of the podcast. So we're about to see, we'll, we'll see if that those happen and whatnot. We'll, I'll keep you in the loop if need, when need be. But uh, if you want to join me next time, uh, that'll be on twitch.tv slash popcorn junkie PWH. And I'll be playing, I'll be trying to do Mega Man again after I failed the last time. Uh, the save file got corrupted during, while playing Mega Man Legacy Collection and it didn't work. So I'm going to try it again and see what see um, see if I can make it work this time, and if not, then I'll just have to I'll just have to deal I'll just have to deal. Um, uh, we'll be continuing through the pop uh, for the through the po- uh, Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy, and I want to try something else for the Trials of the Pokemaniac after the debacles with Pokemon Sweet Edition. Uh, I want to see if see what else we can. Uh, Hand, see what else we can handle over on uh, Twitch.tv with what I have available to me. But, uh, you know, stay tuned to that. I do want to try and get the YouTube channel up and running pretty soon. Uh, I'm hoping to, hoping to get some some of that edited down. It's just a matter of being able to sit down at my computer and get it done. So we'll, so I'm hoping to get, hopefully, hopefully to get some of that done uh, in the near future, but I'll make you'll hear you'll hear those announcements when uh, it's appropriate. And if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, once again, any corrections I need to make, tell me. I will make those corrections. I would love to hear back from you. Um, what? Get, tell me what your thoughts are. If that you know, if you if you had your thoughts on the movie that I reviewed this past weekend, and you want to give your opinions. I would love to do that. I would love to share your opinions on stuff. So, if you, whatever kind of feedback you want to give me, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. 
that about does it for this weekend. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And if seeing more diverse casts and movies bothers you, you just might be a terrible person. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. retelling of the uh, Operation Entebbe or Operation Thunderbolt, depending on um, the which classification you're going by, but the Israeli Defense Forces uh, rescuing of hostages held by Palestinian um, hijackers seven days in Entebbe. I can do that better.